If you have your Bibles, I want to read from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Or, or let's read verse 1 as well. In, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, and he was saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Or it means is at hand, it's within your reach. Then flip over the page to chapter 4 and verse 17. Chapter 4, verse 17. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this phrase that summarizes the ministry of John the Baptist, as well as summarizes the ministry of Jesus, is the key phrase to the whole book of Matthew. It is the key that unlocks the meaning of this book to us. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And I'll explain what that means in a bit more detail. But we have decided to do an expository series through the book of Matthew specifically for the purpose of creating a culture again of teaching the Bible. It is very important that we come to know God's Word. And by teaching systematically through a book of the Bible, it helps us to get into the discipline of studying God's Word and coming to know God's Word in terms of what it is teaching and what it is saying. And also, obviously, to focus on Jesus. We're not going to do a whole lot of technical explanations as to the original Greek text because it can get quite complicated. But we're trying to keep this quite practical, life-orientated, inspirational, as opposed to technical. And I have felt for, for quite some time that it would be good to go through a whole period of time where we focus on Jesus and really come to know Jesus and his kingdom, his ways, what he teaches, what he says, what he does. And of course, Matthew's central theme basically is Jesus and his kingdom, his rule and his reign. And so that's really the motivation in teaching this. And this phrase, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, summarizes this. This word repent, we have understood, I think, through Christian terminology, that repentance means you have to turn away from your sins. And it definitely means that, but it actually means far more than that in the original Greek. It doesn't only mean you must stop sinning and turn away from your sins. Repent in the Greek is metanoia, which means a change of mind. That's meta, change, noia is mind. Change the way that you see things. Change the way that you perceive. Change the way that, that you believe. Change your understanding. And I think the idea behind this simply is that if you walk in a certain direction and you come to certain understandings, it leads you to stop, to turn around and walk the opposite way. So you turn away from your sin. You turn away from your old way of living. You turn away from your old frame of reference. You turn away from your misbeliefs in life. And you literally take on a whole new direction, a whole new way of living on the basis of a new understanding, of buying into new truth, new understandings. It's a change of mind. And the book of Matthew teaches us about a way of living under the rule of God, under the control of God. It's a way of life that is centered in this man Jesus who lived the life ahead of us and before us. And so when he says repent because God's rule or God's reign is within your reach, it's here, it's close by. Basically what he's saying is change the way that you see things and you see the world and you see reality because realize God's power, God's rule is available to all of us to live a different life. 
and in fact to free us, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to change us, to heal us. That's really the emphasis here. And that's what we want to be talking about. And maybe this morning as I just introduced this book, there are some people here who already realize that you don't know whether your life is fully in God's control. And you maybe have had control of your own life or your life has possibly, evidently, been under the control of evil or beyond your control. Where you've been driven with other powers and habits and, and pains and problems that is beyond your control. And this morning the invitation is very simple. Jesus says He is here and He makes available to you and to me a new way of living. And the only response on your part is to give your life into His control. Repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. It simply means surrender your life to God's control because He's here present and he's well able to take your life to change it to forgive you to do whatever he needs to do so that you can live in a new way with his presence and with his power with you this book of Matthew we chose Matthew because Matthew is the teaching gospel if you compare the book of Matthew Mark Luke and John there are four stories about Jesus and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are three who are similar, and John is entirely different. And Matthew was a disciple of Jesus, and when he wrote this book, he, he wrote from personal eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did and what he said and how he lived his life. But also, Jesus, we know, was born round about 5 or, or 6 BC. He was crucified about 29 AD. So Jesus lived about 33, 34 years old when he died. He was crucified and then he rose again. And then the early church, the so-called phrase, the early church began, the believers of Jesus began to spread the gospel from Jerusalem around the world from about 2930 AD. What happened is a lot of the sayings of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus through the preaching of the early apostles, began to be recorded and learned. And there is this thing called oral tradition, where a lot of the early Christians remembered what Jesus was said. Because, of course, all those who followed and lived with Jesus for three and a half years were teaching about him in the small communities of faith that sprung up everywhere. And so you had this thing called the oral tradition. And they basically preached and they taught what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And, for instance, Mark's Gospel is, they say, a recording of most Peter's sermons. Peter used to preach, and Peter the Apostle all over. And this guy, Mark, was like his scribe, his secretary, and recorded a lot of his preachings and put his sermons into a kind of a book of his record of the life of Jesus. And so here we have the book of Matthew that was developed from the manuscripts, from the oral tradition, from the stories that were going around in the early church. And they say probably about the mid-50s, which was about 25 years after Jesus died, the mid to the late 50s, this guy Matthew put together this book of Matthew. And he was staying up above, if you know Israel, if you have in your mind a picture of the map of Israel, just north of Israel, near Syria, is a place called Antioch. And there was a large Christian center, strong Christian church in Antioch. In fact, it was the first Gentile church because 
the believers in Jesus were Jews in Jerusalem and then in Israel. And when the good news about Jesus Christ crossed over the racial barrier from the Jews to the other races, the first strong cosmopolitan or mixed church developed in Antioch. And Matthew was in Antioch in that church. Archaeological research says that Antioch was a city that probably had up to 300,000 people at its peak. And the church at its peak was anywhere between 30,000 and 40,000 believers. And it was a large cosmopolitan or mixed church with mixed races. Although there was a strong Jewish population in Antioch as well as within the church at Antioch. And so Matthew then wrote his account of the life of Jesus from all the stories from his own experience as well as the manuscripts that were floating around in the early church. And he wrote primarily to teach the people in his city about this man Jesus. And what happened is his account of Jesus became so authoritative that the early church used this book of Matthew, this manuscript, eventually as a catechism. You know, those of you who have grown up in mainline or historical churches, I was christened as a Lutheran when I was a baby, I was confirmed as a Lutheran, a German Lutheran, and I went through the catechism with Pastor Plödemann. And although I didn't know, I couldn't speak German, I understood all the German. And you know, the book of Matthew was the catechism of the early church. Because Matthew's gospel was the teaching gospel. The way that Matthew structured his book about Jesus, he structured it around five teachings of Jesus. Technically, they're called the discourses of Jesus. You've heard of the Sermon on the Mount? And we'll get to that, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount is the first teaching of Jesus. And Matthew records five central or, or important teachings. And he builds his whole book around these five teachings of Jesus. So basically, what Matthew is saying is this. The most important thing for you and I is to be taught about who Jesus is, what he does, and what he taught. Because if you understand and you know Jesus and what he taught and what he did, it will set you free into the life of the kingdom of God. It will set you free to enjoy the rule of God in your life. And all that the rule of God has for us, we can enjoy. If you understand and you know this man Jesus, and who he is, what he taught, and what he did. So Matthew's gospel is built around instruction about Jesus, and it was used to train people who came to faith in Christ as a kind of a preparation for baptism and for life within the Christian church. And we'll come to those five important teachings where large bodies of the book of Matthew just is the straight teachings of Jesus. And um, also, as part of my motivation in choosing this book, is for us to learn what Jesus taught about the church and about the kingdom of God. So that is some of our thinking and our reasoning behind this. The people to whom he wrote was largely the Antioch um, church and the Antioch community, which was strongly Jewish at the time, although it had a diminishing Jewish um, population as history went on. But very quickly, this manuscript was used far broader than Antioch and went down into Jerusalem and around the Mediterranean world and was used, um, as I've said, within the church. And his basic intention was to teach about Jesus as the king. Some of the characteristics of Matthew, I've mentioned the five discourses. Let me make a comment on its Jewishness. 
which is also, again, for me, important for us to come to terms with. In the book of Matthew, there is a lot of reference to the Jews, Jewish leaders, Jewish laws, and the struggle between the Jews and the Gentiles in coming to know this man Jesus. We know that the Jews were the ones who rejected Jesus and did not believe that he was the Messiah and actually crucified him. But Matthew is writing in a mixed community of faith where you have Gentile believers and Jewish believers and he is writing a gospel to help the Gentile believers understand its Jewish roots. And I think we need to understand that God whom we worship, the God of, of creation, revealed himself to Abraham with this name, Yahweh or Yahweh. And apparently at the time when Abraham had this revelation of the God who made all things, he initially saw this God as one of the gods that were worshipped in the Middle East, but came to understand that he was the God of all things and all other gods were just fictitious. Because if there's one God who made everything, who was never made and will never die, then there's no such thing as other gods, because there's only one God. And all the other gods are the creations of the, the figment of people's imaginations to make them feel secure, to fulfill this instinct that we all have to worship some power beyond ourselves. And so Yahweh revealed himself to Abraham and the Hebrew people. And then Jesus was sent as a Jewish Messiah to the Jewish people from this God Yahweh who revealed himself through Abraham to the Hebrew people. But all along in the Old Testament, the promise of God was simply this. You Hebrew people, I've chosen you and revealed myself to you so that through you, the rest of the world can come to know me. And the way that you live, the way that you believe, will become a picture of the way I live on heaven, but here on earth. You, as my family, will picture heaven on earth. And through you, all the peoples of the earth must come to know me. And it culminated in the coming of the Jewish Messiah. But Matthew is very interesting, because he talks a lot about the Jewish Messiah and the Jewish ways, but constantly emphasizes the world and the nations and the vision of the end of the world and what's going to happen and the ends of the earth. And he's basically saying that God's salvation, God's kingdom, God's purposes is not only for the Jewish people, but it begins there and then it goes to the ends of the earth, to all people everywhere. And what we need to do now, as Gentile Christians, towards the end of this age, we need to understand the Jewish roots of our faith. That when we say Jesus Christ, the Greek, Jesus Christos, the word Christos is king or, or anointed one. It's the same as Yeshua Mashiach, Jesus Messiah. Messiah is king, the anointed one. And so, as we go through the book of Matthew, a number of these elements, again, will come out and hopefully it will help us to understand some of the roots of our faith and its Jewish context. And then lastly, the book of Matthew, or Matthew, emphasizes the thing of the miracles of the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ and its mission to the ends of the earth. There is a lot of emphasis here on the sheer supernatural power of God. When the king is present, the king's power is present to change whatever needs to be changed, to bring about God's heavenly kingdom here on earth. And of course, the world that we live in, and we read the paper, and we hear, we hear the news, and we look around at the misery around us, and surely 
if there's ever a time when we need the power of God's kingly reign to be present and to intervene, it is now. And so I'm hoping as we teach through the book of Matthew and we look at the emphasis on miracles and the power of God, that we can actually really grow in faith to believe God for the, for the supernatural, for the unexpected, to do great things among us. Not only to heal our sicknesses, but to grow vision in our heart, to care for the poor and to meet the needs and to address issues out there um, in society. Because God's power is not only available in a spiritual sense, it's available in an economic sense, in a political sense, in a social sense, and can transform not only us, but can transform society through us if we make ourselves available as instruments of the kingdom. So that is a, a, an emphasis of Matthew's, and the, the miracles and the power of God operate in and through the church. And Matthew, of all the Gospels, he talks the most about the church of Jesus Christ. And he uses this Greek word, ecclesia. And Matthew was um, quite good at taking words that were used in secular Greek, the way that they spoke at that time, and taking them out of secular usage and filling it with new meaning and creating a language form within the Christian community. For instance, two words that Matthew uses a lot is gospel and church. And the word gospel, evangel, evangelion, in the Greek, was basically, and I've, I've explained this before, some time ago for those of you who might remember, it was used as a phrase to tell the good news of the birth of the Caesars or the kings or the emperors and the life and the conquests of the Caesar. In those days, the Roman emperors or whoever was king, before they traveled to a village or a town or a place, there was a herald that went out before ahead of the king. And often, if they went to the ends of the empire, they sent out the road engineers, and the engineers used to have to level the hills and fill up the valleys and make a highway for the king. And so weeks and months before the king was going to that and that place at the end of the empire, the heralds and the engineers and the army went out, went out ahead and made a highway for the king. And the heralds ran ahead to every village saying, the king is coming, the king is coming. Caesar Augustus, he was born at this time. He came into power at this time. He, def he defeated the Visigoths and the Huns and the Germanic tribes and he had this victory in this town and this <laughs> And they kind of explain the life and exploits and conquests of the king. That was technically called the evangel of the king. And, and Matthew speaks about his gospel of Jesus Christ. He takes this word out of secular usage and he says, we have come to tell you the good news of the real king who was born at this time, who lived and who defeated sickness, who, who cast out these demons, who changed that person's life, who did this and did that and did the next thing. Eventually he died, but it was not the end of the story, like all the other Caesars and all the other emperors. But he rose again and he's alive today and his power is present here to change us and to change our world. And so that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus the King. And then, of course, the word ecclesia, and I explained this the other day, was a word that was used in secular Greek for the gathering of all the people in the village or the town to appear in the main street before the governor of the village and to make decisions together, political, social decisions, as to the well-being of their city. The ecclesia is the called out ones they called together and to meet. And now, the, especially Matthew, takes this word church, ecclesia, 
and uses it in his gospel and says that Jesus Christ came and he called people to follow him. He calls us out of the world together and under his authority to make decisions with him about the well-being, not only of our community, but of our society. So that we implement his policy because we live under his government, because we are people of the kingdom, of his kingdom. And so that theme is developed through, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount was used as the first body of teaching for new Christians. And they said, if you become a Christian in the early church, the first thing that you were subjected to was you were taught the Sermon on the Mount. And you were taught, this is how you live, the Sermon on the Mount. Do you remember what it says in the Sermon on the Mount? It says, you must hate your enemies. Don't pray for them who hurt you and say all sorts of evil things against you. In fact, you must gossip about them. It says all of those things, doesn't it? I mean, he says, love your enemies. Pray for them who persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. Be different. Because you're my disciples. And a person in the early church said, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want to give control of my life over to him. They said, okay, you really believe that? Let me teach you how to live. Because now you're going to live a completely different life. With a completely different frame of reference. You're going to repent now. And repentance was not a thing. It was a process through teaching. And they were taught through catechism classes, the Sermon on the Mount, how to live a different life. And of course it was easy in those days because the community of faith lived very differently to how we live today. They lived largely in community where people were highly dependent on one another economically, financially, for jobs, for shared life, because of the persecution and the hostility that was against the Christians and the people of the way. That was the first term that was used in the early world of these believers of Jesus, the people of the way. Because Jesus constantly spoke about the way. And then it became the Jesus way, the people of the way. So this idea of the church living a completely different life to the world out there, so the world out there looks at us and sees that there's hope in this world. That is developed here in the book of Matthew through all the teachings, the ecclesia of God. And then lastly is this thing of the end times. As Matthew puts a lot of emphasis on the end of the world and the need for this good news of the king to go to the end of the world. And again, as we go through Matthew, hopefully we'll be able to talk about the second coming of Jesus and we'll be able to pinpoint the exact date and the hour when Jesus comes. And I'll write my book like Hal Lindsay's book. 17th of October, 1988, Jesus was going to come. And then he had to revise it quite a few times after this 18th of October. Now, we won't be able to pinpoint the date, but certainly there is a lot of teaching in Matthew that grapples with the destiny of the Jewish people and Israel and the destiny of the church and the culmination of the end of this world with the coming of Jesus and the need for us to have a world vision and to see all the people out there who don't know Jesus as our responsibility to get out there somehow, somewhere and share with them the good news of Jesus. That's a background and an introduction to the book of Matthew. And we'll start next week with Matthew chapter 1. I hope that this picture just paints some parameters for you yeah, why don't you use this opportunity to be a bit of a student of the Bible and 
go through this journey with us. And I'm going to hopefully, as long as I'm teaching, I'm going to, I'm going to produce notes with questions so that you can study in the week and look at them and pray about it. And my recommendation would be to get a commentary. The NIV study Bible is one of the best Bibles with extra notes that's available today. In my opinion, it's far better than most of the others that I've read. And again, it's my opinion. But you need a good commentary of the book of Matthew and use this time to study Matthew and get to know Jesus. You know, Jesus said, or Matthew recorded Jesus as saying in Matthew chapter 11, he says, all who are weary, if you're tired and burdened and stressed out, let me use modern language, if you're stressed out and you're going to a stress seminar, don't go there, but come to me, says Jesus, and I will, I'll give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Jesus says, learn about me. Learn of me. Learn from me. Learn me. Because I am, I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus himself says, learn about me. Come under my yoke and come under my harness. And in a disciplined, directed way, Learn from me. And you know what a harness and a yoke is like? The old ox and the young ox in the harness. The young ox pushes and pulls and eventually submits to the yoke and learns from the old ox which path to walk, how long to walk it, and when to turn around and enjoy the journey. And not be chafed by pushing and pulling in the wrong way. So Matthew, that's the theme of Matthew. Matthew is basically saying, learn about Jesus. How well do you want to get to know Jesus? Do you really want to know Jesus? I encourage you to use this time to really study. Use the notes, get hold of a commentary, and then lastly, repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Change your beliefs. You know, many of us live under misbeliefs about things and about life. And I'm hoping as we go through Matthew, it'll challenge a lot of our misbeliefs. Listening to Bruce Boynes' tapes, as I have it in the car, you realize that what Bruce was doing, in, to some extent, was clearing up a lot of misbeliefs. You know, the storm is the norm. Peter says that, and Bruce made an issue of that. The storm is the norm for Christians. <laughs> but most of us genuinely believe somewhere deep in our hearts, we should not have the storm. We are kings, kids. Everything should go plain sailing. Man, I'm into prosperity. Prosperity means I live well, I eat well, I dress well, I talk well, I look well, I spend well. Amen. Um, isn't that right? But that, that actually is a misbelief about the gospel, is that everything is well all the time. It is a complete misbelief. You see, we need to repent. And the truth changes our frame of reference and in changing our frame of reference the truth sets us free if you know the truth the truth sets you free and the truth this morning is that God is here to help us God is here to help you and he encourages you he says repent turn your life around and give your life over to him and let him have control of your life he's in your boat despite what's going on he's with you turn to him trust him He's well able to take care of what's going on in your life. He is well able. And the more you kick and shout and fight and scream, you're showing you don't trust them. You're showing you trust yourself to sort out your own problems. Or you're panicking. So this morning, I think 
it's a challenge to us here in terms of what God wants to do with us this morning.